cross. There's another song written, 1975, that says, Oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you. And oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Go ahead and be finding your... uh, uh, 2 Corinthians this morning, finding the copy of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we've made our way down to verse 18. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a lot of... um, uh, Where Paul is... uh, He is um, trying to prove who he is. He is writing to believers who, who, who love the Lord... But they're being um, uh, persuaded to go a different direction. They're being persuaded that Paul is not a true apostle. That what he's teaching is false. What he's teaching is fake. And it seems like for four or six weeks he's been dealing with his integrity and who Christ is and who he is and what he's doing. We come down to verse 18 and it's the most theological verses in the entire book of 2 Corinthians. We left off last week, you remember verse 17, a very very familiar text. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things pass away, all things become new. Then we come down to verse 18. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul says, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to take a little break proving my integrity, proving my, my existence as a, as a gospel preacher. And let me just brag on Jesus for a little bit. Let me just talk about Jesus for a few minutes and show you how much He loves you and how much He loves me and what He did for me and you on the cross of Calvary. He said, let me just stop for a minute and talk about that. He did that at the end of last week's message and we carry on today. Five times... The word reconcile, reconciliation, uh, reconciling is mentioned in this text. It's a very, we only read four verses. It's a very important word. All come, it's not the same exact word, but it all comes from the same root word. Some of them are nouns, some of them are verbs. But what does the word reconcile mean? In fact, we introduced it in verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. In fact, if you follow along in your outline this morning, every major point from this outline has the word reconciliation in it. So it's important. It's important to understand it. We will identify it here in just a few minutes. But look at verse 18. He says, Now all things are of God. The things that he's talking about in verse 7, or go back up to verse 16 and 17, the salvation that's been given to those who believe. All of that is of God. 
you realize that salvation starts with God. Salvation starts with the perfect sacrifice. Salvation starts out where the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your sins and you respond to the gospel. You have that choice to respond. But there is no salvation until there is first the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. All things are of God. Who has reconciled us to Himself? Now the word reconcile, here's what the word means and and, and the theme of this text. It means to change Thoroughly. To change thoroughly. God is in the reconciling business. His desire is to change the world with the good news of His Son, Jesus Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 There is none righteous. No, not one. The entire world needs to be changed. And God is in that business. Oh, how He loves you and me. He could have just left, let us die and go to hell where we deserve. Yet He loves us. And He desires to reconcile us and to bring us to His purpose, which is to be saved and to praise Him for all eternity. So the reconcile, the first one is this, the provision of reconciliation. The provision of reconciliation. Now all things are of God who has reconciled, who has thoroughly changed us to Himself. Now you have to, as you read this text, you have to understand that He's writing to the church. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth who is made up of believers. Now, not everybody in this group may have been believers, but he's writing to the church, which those are those that are saved. Just like coming in today, we are a church, which means we are made up of people who are saved. There may be people here this morning who don't have a relationship with Christ. Our purpose is to share the gospel so you can respond to Jesus. But we are a church. And as he's writing this, he says, God has reconciled us. Which means He has changed us. We are a new creation. We are ones who have been saved. We have been bought with a price. He has changed us, the Bible says in verse 18, to Himself through Jesus Christ. The change process is because of the cross of Jesus. It is, the, it, it is the price that He paid. It is His expense. God sent His only Son, the perfect sacrifice, to satisfy the demands of sin and to satisfy the demands of God's wrath. So the provision of you being changed is God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how He loves you and me. As I think about all of the songs this morning that we sang, all points to the cross and all points to what Christ has done through His grace and mercy of the the, the salvation that was paid for you and I. So the Scripture says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself. He has changed us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Now look at this. And He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, how many of you have ever saved anybody? Nobody? Y'all never saved anybody? Man, you're missing out. I, I, I never have either. Only Jesus has. You understand where I'm coming from. But what's the ministry of reconciliation? God has changed you. He has made you a new creature in Christ. You have experienced the love of Jesus So what do you want to do? Go hide under a rock for the rest of your life and let that just dwell in your hearts? No. 
You want to share that with someone else, that what Christ has done for you, he can do to someone else. So he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's the Great Commission. It's more than just simply explaining to others what Christ has done. It's, it requires the one to become an active reconciler of ourselves. We, a, 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 we are a peacemaker. We are one who, ones who live in harmony in a sin-dark world. We are the ones who are the agents of change. Hey, we, we have the answer. If somebody's messed up in drugs. Hey, I'm a reconciler. Let me tell you about Jesus. If somebody's messed up in alcohol, hey, I want to be a reconciler. Let me tell you how you can change your life. If someone's messed up here, any type of sin, the whole world's messed up in sin. Hey, let me share with you about Jesus. He is the reconciler. He changed my life. And He can change yours too. That's the provision of reconciliation. But number 2, verse 19, talks about the placement of reconciliation. The placement of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, verse 18 says, we, are, 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 we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he, he begins to explain it, that is that God was in Christ. You know, that's the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is God. You cannot separate the two, one and the other. One plus one equals one. God was in Christ reconciling the world, changing the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The phrase there in in verse 19, that God who was in Christ... This is a, uh, if you look at this in the original language, it's an imperfect tense, which means the action is not fully completed yet. God is still doing that. The, the phrase on the cross, it is finished, means something happened in the past, but it has continual results. It, is, it hasn't been fully completed. Even though the sins have been forgiven on the cross, you today can come to know Christ and have your sins forgiven because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It still has Continual results. So verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, bringing the world, changing the world to Himself, not imputing or not putting onto account. The word impute is a banking term. If you go tomorrow and put $10 into your banking account, you are putting that on your account. You are imputing that onto your account. So the text says here, not imputing, not putting on your account... Your sins. Now I want to stop and let that just sink in. That is so simple, but it's something we always forget. How much God loves us that He sent His Son on the cross and He has placed reconciliation in our hearts as believers and our sins we will not be held accountable for. Praise God for that. We deserved it. Yet He took that from us. Not imputing. When Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were imputed on Him. Put on His account. Therefore, all those sins have been paid for. God no longer holds our sin against us because we trusted in Jesus as our Savior. You cannot get too far apart from the holiness of God the sin of man. You cannot, you cannot get any further from perfection to uh, imperfection, from light to darkness. 
One of the things in our world, and as far as an illustration, you cannot join together oil and water. If you have a salad dressing that has oil and water and you leave it in your refrigerator for a long time, that oil and water will separate. And, and you pick it up from your refrigerator, you have to shake it up to mix it all together. Say, for instance, we're going this week and we're going to go to Subway. We're going to have a First Baptist sandwich. Okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into Subway and we're going to get a six inch because we're all trying to watch what we eat. So we're going to get a six inch uh, white bread Subway club. Everybody agree with that? Make a motion for a Subway club. Six inch. Good. I see the hand. Good. All right. Moving on. So we're going to get a six inch Subway club. And the first thing they're going to ask you is what kind of cheese? We're going to get pepper jack cheese. That's the best type, type, type of cheese there. So we're going to get pepper jack cheese. They put the, the, the bread on there. They're going to ask if you want it toasted. We said yes. So they're going to toast the, the, the Subway club with the pepper jack cheese. So they've toasted it out. Now we've got to put the stuff on it. So we're going to put some lettuce on it. We're going to put some tomatoes on it. We're going to put pickles on it. That's it. Other stuff's there just for decoration. So you, what you do is just, just, just lettuce, tomato, pickles. And then we're going to get to the end. The most important part of this First Baptist sandwich, not the meat, not the bread, not toasting, not cheese, not lettuce, not tomatoes, not pickles. It is mayonnaise. <laughs> and not the light stuff. It is the real stuff. Mayonnaise makes that sandwich good. But you know, mayonnaise has oil and water in it. And you may, the person behind the counter may shake it up to get the mayonnaise to the front, but you don't have to shake it up in order to join together that oil and water like you do for a salad dressing because there's something else in there that makes the oil and water come together. And it's called egg. Now I despise scrambled eggs. That's just, I just don't eat scrambled eggs. I had a condition when I was younger where I just ate one and didn't like it so I don't eat scrambled egg but I'll eat it I'll eat mayonnaise and that egg unites two things that otherwise cannot coexist what brings the holiness of God and the lostness of man together is the cross Otherwise, sinners don't go to heaven. Lostness doesn't go to light. Those who are destined for hell don't go to heaven. But the cross brings lostness and light together. That's why the text says here in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ changing the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us. The word committed there, He has placed us, or set us the word of reconciliation. This task means that He's always pointing to something beyond Himself, not to Himself, but to what God has done in Christ, not what He's doing for Christ. Salvation is what Christ has done for us, not what we've done for Christ. 
One of the, 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 the great flaws of New Testament times and the great flaws of today is that we can do something to earn salvation. That sounds good. only problem is you can't ever preach a text in the Bible because there's nothing in there that teaches where you earn salvation by a work or something that you do. The text says right here, He's committed to us. He has placed to us the word of reconciliation, which means this is what Christ has done for you. He can convicts you of your sins, you respond to His saving grace, and He saves you, and He changes you. Therefore, you begin to work for the Lord because of what He's placed inside your heart. It's the placement of reconciliation. But number three, let's look at the purpose of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, it's almost like Paul says, now I got your attention. (laughs) Now then, because of what Christ has done for us, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. So number three is the purpose of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. Every person who is saved in this world is an ambassador. Now this is a term we think of a lot. We may not know the exact uh, meaning. We know we have ambassadors to China, ambassadors to the United Nations, ambassadors to other, other, uh, other countries around the world. An ambassador never lives in their home country. So an ambassador to Israel would live in Israel. An ambassador to China would live in China. They live on foreign soil. They are both a messenger and they are a representative. An ambassador to a foreign country is the highest ranking official in that country. So say, for instance, if an ambassador to Israel is in Israel, that person is the highest ranking official from the United States. But they are an ambassador to Israel. And we have that in all types of countries. We learn from Philippians and other parts of the text that we are living in foreign soil. That we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven because of what Christ has done on the cross. He's made us His child. We are sons of God. We are ambassadors, which means we are the messenger of Christ. We are representatives of Christ. We are the highest ranking official of heaven living in this world, sharing to a world what happens back at home. We are ambassadors for Jesus. That's why when you get saved, your work begins. Your work doesn't end. You work to begin to change the world because of what Christ has done for you. The purpose of reconciliation is to be that messenger and that representative of the one who sent you, which is Jesus himself. The scripture says in verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you. Look at that word. We implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I want you to stop and think. Remember, he's writing to believers. Brother John, I thought believers have already been reconciled. They have. So why is he asking the church to be reconciled? This is where I want you to stop and step back for a second. Just take take a deep breath. Reconciliation is not salvation. Salvation is something that happens in your heart that Christ saves you. Reconciliation is the change process. How many of you are closer to God today than the day you got saved? I hope every one of you. When you got saved, your life changed 
But what has happened is, is through the change process, you have been, been in the reconciliation process. And today you know more Scripture. You, you, can, you, can, you, you love Jesus. You love your family. You're living out what Christ has put inside of you. The church of Corinth was going backwards. The church of Corinth was one who was saved, but they had so much sin and so much junk in the church and in their life and in their families. Paul is saying here, I implore you to be reconciled. It's, it's an imperative. It's a command. Hey, guys, that change that Christ started in you and made you a new creation, you need to come back to that. He has forgiven you of your sins, not so you can go out and live like a sinner, but so you can go out and live like you've been forgiven and that you've been saved. It's the purpose of reconciliation is that we continue to be reconciled every day of our life and live as though we have been changed. We're not supposed to be like the world. We are different. We are holy. We are chosen people of God. And there must be a separation between Christ ambassadors and the ambassadors of hell. Because there's only two types. Ambassadors from heaven, ambassadors from hell. There has to be a major difference. Just like a darkness and sunlight, you cannot separate the two. I mean, you cannot get more different than light and darkness. The same way it should be with Christians and non-Christians. The purpose of reconciliation the imperative mood in this text demands that there must be an active response. You must respond to that reconciliation. Then we get to verse 21. I'm glad I got 30 minutes left because this, I was wanting to, this is where I was wanting to get. That was my introduction, those first three. Now hang tight, hang tight. Verse 21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If I remember right, it's about 22 or 23 words in our English language. But in the Greek language, it's so simple. It's only 15 words. One of the most powerful texts in all the Bible. That Christ became our sin. In fact, it starts off, He, God, made Him Jesus. He made God. From the end of the verse, in verse 20, God made Jesus. Reconciliation is God's Plan. God reaches out to you. God reaches out to sinners. He did by the sacrifice of His Son. He, God, made Jesus who knew no sin. Now I want you to see that. Christ Jesus was perfect. He was born from a virgin. And He lived this life, a perfect life. Christ lived a perfect life. He is the only Son of the Most High God. He the Bible says here, knew no sin. He was perfect. He who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, Christ took upon our sin. My Bible, neither does yours, say that Jesus became a sinner. No. Jesus is holy. Jesus became our sin. He took upon the sin on His life. He took upon the wrath of God on His life. That's why the Bible says when He's on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ at that moment became the, the, the sin where the sin of all mankind, yours and mine, it was placed upon Him. Him who knew no sin. If anybody deserved Holiness and perfection, it's Jesus because He was holy. He is holy and He is perfect. 
But he was the only one who could die for the world. The only person who didn't even know what death was, was Christ. Yet he chose to die and chose to pay the price for all mankind and the sins of the world to be sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. What's neat about this text where it says, He who knew no sin to be sin for us is that eliminates every human being who has ever lived. Nobody has ever known no sin become sin. So that rules out Buddha, rules out Muhammad, rules out all those other guys who have all been in this world, who have sinned and who have died. And none of them rose from the grave like Jesus did. This text tells you exactly how to go to heaven. And it's the only one who was sinless and took upon the sin of the world so that you, there's a price, number four, the price of reconciliation, so that you may become the righteousness of God. Jesus took what you have sin so that we can take or receive what Christ has and that's his righteousness oh how he loves you and me he gave his life what more could he give oh how he loves you oh how he loves me but there's a verse to that chorus Jesus to Calvary did go His love for sinners to show. What He did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. I'm going to ask if you would just to bow. Bow your heads in prayer. And we want to offer just a simple invitation. Just a minute as we close our service, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We do this about once a quarter. And today just happens to be the day where it's been planned out. But it's an opportunity where you can come to know Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, man, He loves you. He died for you. And He gives you an opportunity to trust in Him today. He became your sin. So that you can become the righteousness of God. It's the cross that brings together sin and the holiness of God. So today He can forgive you. And today He can wash you as white as snow. Today He can change you if you'll let Him. So Brother John, what is salvation? How does that work? It starts off with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. If you know today that you are a sinner... The only way that's happened is the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. You've done something and there's conviction in your heart. But even if you don't know of an act that you've done, it's just a life because the Bible says all have sinned. We walked into this earth as sinners. And I encourage you this morning, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, would you just right where you're at, You may be in the balcony, you may be in the pew, you may be listening on the radio or watching on television when it's broadcast. Right where you're at, say, Lord Jesus, I know today 
that I'm a sinner. You have convicted me of my sin. So today I ask, God, that you would forgive me my sins. Lord, change me today. I believe that the cross of Calvary paid the price for my sin. So Lord, I want you to come into my life and take over. Be that supreme authority in my life. Save me today. Friend, if you just said that to the Lord, if you just prayed that, here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand. But if you've prayed that, I want you to come. That's going to be one of the hardest decisions that you'll ever make. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. But it will be one of the most rewarding decisions you'll ever make. Because you will step out of your comfort zone and you will stand for the Lord. You'll take those next steps of baptism and other things that will come. But you're saying, Jesus has changed my life. I'm ready to be an ambassador for the Lord. So when we stand, if you prayed, I'm just going to ask if you would to come. Father, we love you. Lord, lead us as we come into this invitation. Lord, there are those who may have prayed and have been saved. Lord, would you give them that courage to come down, to make that decision public and to begin their journey and their walk with you. Lord, give them the strength to do that. Lord, there may be others who have other decisions that they need to make this morning. Give them the strength to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.